All right, well, we are going to jump in. We are continuing our study of Galatians, titled Verified. So open up your Bible. You, you brought your Bible this time, didn't you? You've got it. Open up your Bible to Galatians chapter 2. Let's do the youth pastor's thing, and when you have Galatians 2, say, got it, you know. No, no, when, when you're open to it, not when you have it somewhere in the Bible. I got that. All right. Get your eyes on the page. Good. Get it, got it, good. Well, I turned uh, 30 this summer, so I, I've crossed another decade, another decade of distance between me and my experience and yours. So, you know, I, I got to work extra hard now to stay culturally engaged, to know what your world is like. Um, and I just find that I'm, I'm misfiring more often now. You know, I was, I was teaching the fifth grade class a couple Sundays ago. And I mentioned uh, K-pop and BTS, and they looked at me like I was giving them a spelling bee. So that wasn't quite right on target for their experience and their awareness. But in my efforts to stay connected, uh, yesterday I joined TikTok. They're, they're, now to clarify, I did not join TikTok because I don't willingly participate in any form of social media. I only do it because I have a job that I have to do that. So there's an LCC Youth TikTok account, and, and of course the first thing that I noticed was how they stole the concept from our Youth Camp logo from this summer. So, you know, we were ahead of the time on, on that. But it was, a, it was a pretty disorienting experience. It, it, this was one of the first times that I downloaded an app and immediately felt, I do not know how to use this. You know, I felt like these two guys in the 1920s trying to take a selfie. That's the original <laughs> selfie right there. So I had, that, I had that experience going on. But you have that For You page that just, it, it was there. I, I didn't subscribe to anybody. I didn't follow anybody. TikTok, you don't know what I want. You don't know me. They just start streaming in content uh, right away. But I, I figured it out a little bit, and I, I managed to post pretty much the blandest video possible. And uh, within, within an hour, it had 500 views. And I thought, oh my goodness, no wonder preteens like this so much. I mean, it is affirmation candy. You just, right away, you get a, a global audience. Uh, but I was surprised to find out that even TikTok has verified accounts, right? And I've got no idea why in the world you would need that. You, you are literally singing lip sync videos in front of strangers. Who cares who you are? In, in fact, one of the, uh, one of the verified accounts uh, was a uh, lab, or no, it was a golden retriever named Tucker. Uh, he's got 3.6 million followers. He's outperforming any of, anything that y'all could ever hope or dream to do, but he's verified, he's, uh, he's the legit uh, deal. Uh, but then I, I stumbled upon Howie Mandel's TikTok account, and then I realized, okay, that's why they have that verification thing, because am I really watching a middle-aged man shake his butt to Mariah Carey, and the, the blue check mark showed me, yeah, no, no, that's really him uh, on, on here. Uh, but, but TikTok puts you, it gives you an instant audience with instant feedback as people thumb up through their feed. But there's a little bit of a catch to that experience, and, and I, hope, I hope you pay attention to some of this. Because if you are TikTok famous, uh, first of all, they're not even ever going to go to your profile. They're just, you showed up in the, in the For You feed at some point, and so they notice that. But typically what that means is there, there have been like a thousand people who have made fun of you in subsequent videos. And so you have become a meme. You have, you have become uh, the butt of endless jokes as, as your content has now been picked apart and reproduced and, and laughed at along the way. And so what, what this experience gives with one hand, it, it takes away with a, a million others. 
And I think that's important to notice that a lot of the things that we tend to look to for verification, that we look to to find out, am I somebody? Am I somebody that matters? Do people approve of me? Is life safe for me? Is life going to go well for me? Often those things, they, they, they make promises, but they bring trouble into our world as well. And that's what we saw in chapter 1 of Galatians, right? Paul says, I'm writing about those who are troubling you. They come with an offer. They say, hey, we've got the gospel 2.0. If you, if you really want to be accepted in our club, if you really want to be in the spiritual elite, here's what you got to do. We, we've, we've made a How It Works webpage about it, and, and you got to add a couple of things to the Christianity that you've already got. And that sounds promising, but it, it, it is a troublesome existence that Paul knows if you invite that, if you go there, you're not going to like where it takes you. And that's instructive for us to notice for ourselves as well. Well, chapter 2 Paul is going to raise the question, you know, how, how do you get verified? Yeah, there are kind of how-to pages, how to get verified on TikTok, how to get verified on Instagram. You can't get verified on Twitter anymore. They took that away. They, couldn't, they, they, they got tired of trying to manage that. Paul raises, how do you get verified? And what are some of the signs that we might be looking for that in the wrong places? All right, so let's read chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 11. And this takes a surprising turn right here. But when Cephas came to Antioch, right? Who's Cephas? Peter, Peter, right? Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock, sturdy. He's not really acting that way right now. Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And in your Bible, you might have the end of the quotation marks at that point, or it might continue. So we're not really sure, you know, verse 15, is, is Paul still talking to Peter, or now is he summarizing that and talking to the Galatians? But either way, here's the point. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's the main point of Galatians. Galatians 2.16 summarizes what exactly are you trying to get across here, Paul? What are you wanting us to see? And, And he's raising this question. What is it that makes you verified? That's not the word that he uses, right? That's the word we've been using. But the word he uses here is justified. What's that mean? Justified is to have, before the universe, a stamp of approval on your life. It is the grand blue check. It is to say, you are okay. You are okay for all eternity. You are safe. You have a right standing before God, and therefore before the people of God. And how do you get that? Paul says, there are only two alternatives. There are two ways to try to receive this or to achieve it. 
And those are the two ways right there, right? There, there's either justification by works of the law or justification by faith in Christ. You either achieve this or you receive this. But there's, there's no third option. And so he raises for the Galatians, which one do you want? Because you're starting to head down the route toward achievement. And it's not going to bring you to a good place. Right? This, this is dis- what's distinctive about Christianity. You know, sometimes that can get lost. People talk about religious faith. They talk about different religions, different ways of, of following God. And it can feel like it's just this like smorgasbord, choose your own adventure. I'll take a little bit of that one, a little bit of this one, and whatever feels particularly meaningful to me in, in, a, in a moment. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Not if you pay attention to what these religions actually teach. And what is unique about Christianity, and Christianity alone, among the world of ideas, is that it takes you out of the equation entirely. It does not allow you to get one bit of credit in the reason why God would forgive you and the reason why God would receive you into heaven. Every other religion includes some sense of the, the... the particular commandments that you follow, the particular path that you take, the, the rituals that you, you manage to keep up with, they're, they're part of the puzzle. Now, everybody, every religion believes God's merciful, God's forgiving, God's kind, and so God has taken a step toward us. God's moved toward us, and he's given us some principles to help us find the rest of the way. You guys realize, and I hope you've noticed this growing up, That is not what we believe. That is not the gospel. It is utterly unique that favor with God cannot be earned whatsoever. God's acceptance, God's approval does not take into consideration anything about how good we are, about the choices that we've made, about how we've brought our life back together. It's just not part of what is considered when it comes to do we have a right standing with God. So that that word justification actually means to declare righteous, to say that you're in the right, but not based in what you do, based in what Jesus has already done that you trust in. And so justification is not uh, you come to know Jesus, you, 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 you get born again, you know, choose whatever word you want, and as your life starts to get cleaned up and put back in place, over time, God more and more accepts you. Now, it's, it's very important that our lives follow God, that we are submissive to him, that we, that we want the character of Jesus worked out more and more in our choices and actions, and he does transform us. But listen to this. Can you get this? God doesn't take your transformation into consideration when it comes to whether or not he will accept you. We all make different movement, some of us further than others. Some of us take a step back as we're going further. All of that matters when it comes to our walk with God, our enjoyment of his presence, and yet not one bit of it makes any difference in whether or not we are in a right relationship with God. This is, this is stunningly unique, and this is the gospel that Paul is jealous to protect because they're listening to some teachers that are threatening that. And, and they're not making big changes. They're not coming around and saying, that whole Jesus is God thing, no, not not right. That Jesus was raised from the dead, you you need to change what you think about that. They're, They're not adjusting any of that. They're just adjusting, what do I have to do in order to get saved? And they're saying, you know, there are some essentials that you Galatian people missed out on. That Paul guy, when he came, uh, I don't know that he got all of his facts straight because there's something called circumcision. 
And all of you Gentiles who are now relating with Jesus, relating with the God of Abraham, don't you know the God of Abraham made a covenant with his people of circumcision? And all the people who have followed God for thousands of years, you know, they, they've received this. And so if, if, if you want to be close to God, Abraham was a friend of God after all. If you want to be his friend, you got to go through this as well. And in fact, if you want to be friends with us, don't even think about trying to come to church and sit by us because and and part of this was what they understood about God because God had taught his people distinctions between right and wrong holy and what isn't holy and he used he used certain signs and symbols to drill that into their experience and yet every single one of those those signs was was pointing to something that's what a sign does points to something else some other reality and they were pointing to Jesus. They were pointing to the one who would come and every checkbox, he would go down the line and perfectly obey God and then hand over that report card and say, who wants this? All you have to do is receive it by faith. All, all, all you need is not, not a set of new things to do. You need me. He was constantly pointing to himself. But, but they wanted to wear circumcision like it was a badge of honor. But Paul's telling them what that badge does, it binds you to the whole law. You, you, you want to base this on how, how good of a job you're doing obeying? Well, congratulations, you've inherited 613 other commandments as well. Because you don't get to pick and choose this. There are only two routes. And so he's saying, if, 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 you, if you go that route, if you go the route of thinking, let me add on circumcision as my verification check, you just got landed on a hamster wheel of performance, and it will be restless for you, and you will not be able to escape. There's the way of trusting Christ, and then there is everything else. What, what looks like a small adjustment to the gospel, Paul says, Chapter one, we saw that last time. It's another gospel. In fact, there is no other gospel. There's just good news and everything else is bad news. Which one do you want? When you go the route of relying on your obedience, even in a small part to earn your favor with God, you then have to keep the law perfectly because God demands perfect obedience. And there's only ever been one person who's qualified for that. It's interesting to, to track different moments in history where small adjustments, small decisions, small ways of getting off course had catastrophic consequences. In 1979, there was a large passenger jet with 257 people on board and it left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica and back. And unknown to the pilot, someone had modified the flight coordinates by just two degrees. And if you know anything, y'all know about angles and how that works, right? And how they spread, separate over distance the further that you go. As they approached Antarctica, the pilots descended to a lower altitude to give the passengers a better look at the landscape. They had no way of knowing that the incorrect coordinates had placed them directly in the path of Mount Erebus, an active volcano that rises from the frozen landscape to a height of more than 12,000 feet. As the pilots flew onward, the white of the snow and ice covering the volcano blended with the white of the clouds above, making it appear as though they were flying over flat ground. By the time the instruments sounded the warning that the ground was rising fast toward them, it was too late and they crashed into the side of the volcano. This is sobering because there, there are ways that, that we can get off course with Christ and with what God in his planning and in his wisdom has ordained as the way of salvation and we are heading for eternity and if we want to get on the route of works, it might look like a small dif difference but it has disastrous consequences when we try to rest in our contribution. 
The Galatians wanted to add circumcision like it was a safety measure, like it was a, a fallback plan in case Jesus doesn't come through 100%. I mean, you don't know what you're asking for when you're asking for that. In case Jesus isn't enough, maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I'll add some behavior. Maybe, maybe that'll kind of give me a little bit further in God's good graces if I can make sure that I get verified. Sometimes the things that we trust in don't deliver the safety that we want. There's a man named MacArthur Wheeler in 1995, and he walked into two Pittsburgh banks and robbed them in broad daylight with no attempt at having any disguise. And he was arrested later that night, less than an hour after videotapes of him taken from surveillance cameras were broadcast on the 11 o'clock news. And when the police later showed him the surveillance tapes, Mr. Wheeler stared dumbfounded. He said, but I wore the juice. He, he was under the impression that rubbing one's face with lemon juice rendered it invisible to video cameras. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done like invisible ink with lemon juice, so maybe that works on your face with technology as well. It actually made the robbery more difficult because lemon juice was burning his eyes in the process. <laughs> what he thought would protect him brought him only harm. And Paul's warned the Galatians, what you think is going to protect you, it's only going to bring harm into your life. It's like trying to hide with lemon juice. And, and, and listen, we, we, we've got our own versions of this, our own versions of trying to make up for our sin and avoiding things like repentance and faith. And so we'll, we'll make promises to God. We'll say, I'll try things better next time. We, we try to make our good behavior. You know, if you've just had a time where you've just been rebelling and, you know, you, you've been, you know, living in secret practices and, and, you, and you, know, you, you know there's a little bit of lack of integrity going on in your life and you try to make up for that on the side by, like, serving extra and just being really nice to people. What, what are you doing? You're hoping that God will be okay with your sin if you can just outweigh it with some righteous behavior. That's not going to work. It's only repentance and acknowledging our full need of Jesus and throwing ourselves on him for salvation and then following where he leads as he leads us into obedience. But notice what happens there. People who, who like rules, you know, we've shared this insight with you before. You, you got rule breakers and rule followers, rule haters. Some of y'all, some of y'all, it's like you, you, you throw down any sort of standard any sort of specificity as this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, you immediately something rises up in, inside of you that says, yeah, watch me. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skirt the edge of that as much as possible. Others of you, you like that. It's like, this is nice. This is safe. In fact, if you give me some rules, I bet I can show people how good I am at following them and get some extra blue checks in my account. But one way or another, rule breakers and rule followers they, they, they both don't really like the rules. One of them thinks that they do, but the rule followers always trying to make it easier on themselves so that they can feel better about their performance. That's what the Pharisees were doing, by the way. You know, they, they, they were slapping on extra demands onto people who were trying to follow God and saying, I, I tithe on my spices. You know, I get out my salt out of the pantry and I get 10% out of it and I give it to the poor. Here you go, poor people. Here's my salt. You know, I just make sure I'm extra scrupulous in all of that. Yeah, well, that's easy to take 10% of your salt. It's a lot harder to, like, honor your father and mother and to care for the poor in ways that actually cost you. And Jesus was exposing them left and right. You like the easy rules, but the thing where God actually expects full uh, full-hearted obedience, you find a good way of ignoring that. Remember that, we, we looked at this at youth camp, that, that man who asked Jesus, you know, what's the law? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, wanting to justify himself, wanting to verify himself, 
he asked, well, who's my neighbor? You can't mean everybody, right, Jesus? I mean, be reasonable, lower the standard a little bit so that it's something that I can manage to do. And Jesus was constantly pressing on upon people, no, let's go with perfect. Let's go with love everybody. Let's go with sincerity. And eventually he wants them to cry uncle and reveal they need somebody else who can handle that. You don't get to be the hero, but there is one who has come and who has done everything necessary. Now listen, we can, we can know that on some level. But un, un, unless we see, unless we feel that our lives, our attitudes, the realities inside of our hearts, not one bit of it is worth enough to be acceptable to God. Unless we feel the weight of that, you're not going to, the songs that we sing aren't going to mean anything to you. Celebrating God's mercy, celebrating forgiveness that's available to us, unless you actually realize the only thing you brought to Jesus Christ on the cross were, were nails in your pockets that you gladly drove through his wrists. And that's all that we have got to offer God. Unless you feel that, you won't really think you need Jesus. And you'll eventually be fine managing life without him. The only thing that God looks for in people he looks for a humble heart that realizes we need him. That's how Martin Luther puts it. Martin Luther was turned upside down by the letter to the Galatians. And he writes this, God accepts only the forsaken, cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind, restores life to only the dead, sanctifies only the sinners, gives wisdom only to the unwise fools, in short, he has mercy only on those who are wretched, gives grace only to those who are not in grace. Therefore, no proud saint, no wise or just person can become God's material and God's purpose cannot be filled in him. He remains in his own work and makes a fictitious, pretended, false, and painted saint of himself. That is a hypocrite. And... That's a word that Paul uses in our passage here. There's a case of hypocrisy that he describes, and it involves none other than the apostle Peter. I mean, th th this, is, this is fascinating here. Because apparently, you can know everything I just described and not live in the good of it. And, and even people with as, as much standing and reputation and nearness to God and walked with Jesus like Peter, right? You, you know, good teachers can sometimes do stupid things, can sometimes live inconsistently um, with what we're teaching. And, and which, by the way, is why, as I shared last time, don't put your hope in human personalities, Learn from the examples of those who have gone before you, but do not ground your faith in me or another pastor or your parents or anybody else because who knows what weird things we're going to do in the future. That's why Paul says in chapter 1, if we or an angel from heaven come and say you need a different gospel, send us on to hell. Don't listen to us. You follow Christ. And here, even Peter is taken in. He didn't teach another gospel, but he did live another gospel. And, and we're given in, in Galatians 2, two effects of gospel disconnect. What happens when this isn't in view? You know, there, are, there are certain clear pictures of gospel disconnect. I mean, they can sometimes be really stark. I don't know if you've ever seen this image before. Just take a moment to take that in. Jesus saves as the banner as they're donning the KKK hoods. A, a, a gathering of a group of people whose identity and existence is based in who they're going to exclude. 
who they are not going to give equal rights to who, who they, they want to segregate their lives away from people of another race, fully believing in the process that they're following God. That's sobering, isn't it? But this is not too far from home. Everybody knows that's pathetic today. But apparently, we're capable of excluding people on the basis of race, ethnicity, or we just don't like them. They're just different, and they're weird, and they're strange to us, and so we don't want to be near them. And it's a denial of the gospel when we exclude people that God accepts. And, and that's the problem here, and, and that, this is the reason why there, there comes to be this argument between Paul and Peter. Because what Paul notices is, uh, Peter, bro, you've been eating a lot of pork lately. You know, you, you, you've, been, you've been going down to the crawfish boils, and you've been eating shellfish, and you got no problem with that. You don't, you don't live like a Jew anymore, and, and I, honestly, I'm glad you don't, you know. Uh, but when certain people showed up, you started backing away from the Gentiles. The Gentiles is just another way of describing those who they don't have the blue check of circumcision. And so you're fine eating with them, sharing a meal, but when the right crowd came, those who came from, from James, they claimed to be following James, but they, they were teaching circumcision as the way to get on God's good side. You backed away and you said, I think I'm going to go eat at the Jewish table over here where everything's kosher and clean and you Gentile people, we just don't kind of occupy the same space. And what Paul says is, Peter, you you have denied the gospel. Not with your words, but with your life. Because the implication was, these Gentiles, they're not acceptable to me, and therefore, they're not acceptable to God. There's still something they got to do in order for God to receive them. Derek Thomas comments, Peter's action implied that the Gentile Christians were not truly members of the household of faith, not according to the definition interpreted by the men from James. Their uncircumcised status disqualified them. Do we have to live like Jews in order to be saved? That is the real issue. And that raises the question of the nature of justification before God. Paul's saying, Peter, you're, you're pulling on something that's tethered to what is it that makes us right with God? And, and you're threatening that with how you're acting and with the life that you're modeling before. How do all those Gentiles feel as they watch, as they watch Peter back away and they, they must realize, well, I, I guess I'm second rate. Maybe there are some more things that I gotta do in order to be in this, this club. The reality is that Peter knew this was not consistent with the gospel. In Acts 11, he had this vision. In fact, it happens in chapter 10, and then he talks about it in chapter 11. And, and notice who he's interacting with, right? 11.2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. He went down to Cornelius' house. He was a Gentile, and whatever Cornelius served, he sat right by him, and, and they shared fellowship together. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Listen, there are people sitting with you in this room, a part of this church, 
your brothers and your sisters in Christ that God has made clean. Do you treat them like they're common? Do you treat them like there's, there's some other things they have to do in order to win you? It's like, you know, your jokes never land. You think you're so funny, but you're so cheesy. You're trying so hard. When you figure that out, come back and approach our little group over here when you got a, a decent joke to tell, and then maybe, you know, you'll be part of this. Unclean. Are there, are there, are there people that, just because they, they have a personality that doesn't line up with yours, it feels like having a conversation with them is like talking with a wet paper towel, you know, and so you just don't want to have to deal with that. And so you're perfectly fine ignoring them, not including them in life, creating divisions like Sarah was talking about in, in her word earlier. Listen, if, if you share Christ with them, what this means is you have more in common with them. In fact, you have more in common with with the widow in the body of Christ, then you might have with somebody who is just like you in this world and does not trust Jesus. God has brought you into the family of God. And so who do you eat with? Literally, like who will you have lunch with? If you go to school, which table will you sit at and which, which groups of people will you find yourself just consistently, I don't, ever, I don't ever go by them. In fact, I don't want to be seen going over there. I'm not mean to them. I don't make fun of them. But I'm going to get a lot of questions asked of me if I move toward that table. And in fact, my verification might be called in the question if I do that. You give a little bit extra respect to people because they're attractive, because they've got money, because they've got social power, and you like the way that makes you feel. I mean, notice here, and notice what's in Peter. Why do we exclude people? Why did he do that? What caused this stumbling in Peter when before this moment he was so clear? All right, you guys, you got your Bible still open, right? You with me? Uh, Galatians 2, can you notice a motive that Peter might have here? What's the explanation for why he moved away from the Gentiles? Not a rhetorical question. You got it? My Bible's closed right now, so I'm not following my own rules. Galatians 2, in verse 12, what's it say? He separated himself. Why? Bingo. Fearing the circumcision party. He was afraid. Fearing what? That they were going to kill him? You know? Like they, 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 they were armed and dangerous. And Peter, you, you better not sit over there, man. You make one move and we're shooting you. Right? No. And most of the time when we're afraid, that's not what we're afraid of, is it? Fearing losing their approval. All right. Second gospel disconnect. Fearing disapproval when you're already approved. When over your life, I mean, what could we want more than, than the God who created the universe, the God of eternity who never came into existence, the triune God who has been perfect forever and full of joy and, and created all the stars and all the nebulae and every creature that you could ever lay your eyes on, looking over you and saying, you're mine, you're good, not because of you, but because of my son, because you trusted in him. What else could we want? What else would make us feel safe and secure and loved? And yet, the little puny people in our lives who are probably not going to shoot us in the face, but they just might do like, huh? 
You know, like that, that's what we're afraid of. You know, just like some, some weird face or more often than not, some perceived reaction and opinion that we're probably making up entirely. But we don't want to lose the blue check. Notice, notice about Peter, right? This is not the first time this has been a struggle for him. You know, he, he would always put his foot in his mouth in the days of following Jesus, you know, whatever looked like the powerful and impressive answer, he just was the loud mouth, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself out there. He could talk a, a big talk. He didn't always deliver on his game. And Jesus is arrested, and a little servant girl asks him, aren't you from Galilee? And he's like, I never, I've never seen Jesus. What are you talking about? I don't know that man. I got nothing to do with him. He disassociated himself from the Lord of glory in an instant because he was afraid. And then something changes inside of him. Jesus comes back from the dead. Jesus beats death itself and shoves it back in the mouth of the grave. And then he sends his spirit in power. And Peter, before 3,000 people, boldly says, you guys crucified him and you better change. Notice he's not worried about the servant girl anymore. In fact, he's not worried about the authorities. They throw him in prison, and he's like, yeah, I think I'd rather obey God than man. Peter is not some slouch when it came to following God with courage, but the group whose approval he wanted changed. You notice that? It's now these these. Special people from James. James, the brother of Jesus. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Apparently, these guys represent him, and he wanted to, he wanted to hang out with a good Christian crowd. Notice, if, if you are a slave of approval, you will follow that, and sometimes the group that you are looking to to provide that will change. And so right now, it might be this group. Right now, it's like, hey, I love youth group. You know, we, we go insane together and do stupid stuff at youth camp, and y'all are doing that? We're doing that too, you know? I'm fine with that. We worship God. Uh, I like this. I like the friendship. I, I, you know, this is comfortable for me. Well, well right now, you kind of care about what the people around you in here might think of you. You might not. Izzy's like, no, I'm done. I'll cut y'all off, you know? Um, <laughs> It might not always be that way, you know? You might follow Izzy and move on. I don't know. Uh, But there might be another crowd that's got different values, different standards, different things that they applaud, and other things that they are silent about. And suddenly, those people, you are second-guessing. How am I going to live? How am I going to dress? How am I going to walk? And waiting for the blue check to come. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do the good things that you do? Right? The Bible pulls us apart like that. I mean, if this were just an ordinary religious book, it'd be all about, hey, make sure you're doing the good stuff and not the bad stuff. And, and, and the Bible's peeling us apart and saying, why do you do the good stuff? You think that's getting you favors with God? Do you think that's getting you favors with the good people? Because that might not always matter to you. And I, I watch young people eventually find it really easy. It's like, I don't care what you think. Because there's like a million people over here who think this. And so y'all have now become an insignificant whisper to me. But there's a contrast here. Because not everybody in this particular story acts this way. And this is not to kind of pit one apostle against the other. They all had their own issues They were not perfect, although they were godly and taught the truth. But here, there's something inside of Paul that opposes Peter to his face. Can you imagine the guts that that took? I mean, first of all, Paul is the new kid on the block, you know, among the apostles. He wasn't among the Jerusalem elite. He wasn't among the followers that knew Jesus during his lifetime. It's like there's the 12, and, and then 
there's Paul, you know, he's like the extra one that got added on, and so he probably is aware of that to some degree. Do you know how easy it would have been to overlook and just kind of silently shake his head like, Peter, what are you doing, man? Don't you know barbecue is awesome? You know, it's like he, he could have just said that. Uh, but he gets up, and he's like, this is a public thing, which is why he does this, because there are Gentiles that are left in confusion, and he wants to teach them something, and he wants to show Peter something. And so he says, openly, you are wrong in what you are doing. To his face. Not behind his back. Doesn't subtweet him. Doesn't post some you know, shade-throwing TikTok video. Uh, which, I, I, you know, in my limited experience of TikTok, the, uh, the, my, my, my boyfriend cheated on me, and so if I go viral with this video, I'll get enough courage to, you know, to confront him. It's like, what is that? It's like you're, 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 you're so much a slave to people's approval that you need a million likes in order to, to, to face off with this loser. It's like, where is that, where is that coming from? Paul, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Not as far as I know, but hey. Uh, Paul, Paul goes up to him, and he's not, not scared of what that means for his future, for his career. He didn't need their approval. Remember what he said in verse 6? We saw this last time. From those who seem to be influential... What they were made no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. A question for you. You're going to have to take this into the personal places of life. Because I'm not going to describe every scenario. Do people add nothing to you? Or if you were honest, do people add everything? For Paul, Christ was everything. The gospel was everything. Acceptance before God received by faith alone in a way that he could never earn was the joy of his heart. And he just was not controlled by the whims of public opinion or even the acceptance of his friends. His heart answered to God. And some of us can be so controlled by this. We're just so caught up in this internal story we tell about what people think, and so a bad haircut becomes a crisis and you just want to retreat into your room for a week. You know, it's got to even itself out or something. And your appearance, your clothing, you know, the condition of your skin at any given moment, it's just very, very loud in your awareness. And this, Jesus accepts me, it's, it's become a whisper in your life. The attention of some guy or girl is everything and so you become super depressed if they don't notice you if they don't affirm something about you because it's like yeah God loves me but does he and that has become what's controlling you you, you've given that permission to trouble you remember the things that we hand over the authority to give us a blue check who gets to hand out the blue checks they bring trouble but we are safe in the hands of Jesus who says, you're weary and heavy laden. You know what I got? I've got rest to offer. I've got an easy yoke. He does call us to follow him in everything and to put him first in everything. And yet, he will never disappoint You'll never take risks to serve people who can't return the social favor if this is really big for you. When was the last time you approached somebody and served them and, and they're not going to do anything for you? They're not going to up your game, your status, you know, help your, your like count on whatever particular social media platform you care about. 
All right, you, you, you might post something encouraging on, on their wall, and it's not the person that you're really hoping will flatter you back. You know, you're only going to do that. You're only going to take those risks if you are freed from what so often enslaves us because you realize you have everything that you need. That's what the letter of Galatians is all about. You can have everything you need for free in Jesus. Father, would we believe that? Lord, I pray that, Lord, whatever the particulars are for us, God, if, if we have looked down on others from a place of pride, God, if we have moved away from people that we, we feel like they're a liability and so we're trying to do damage control, God, forgive us. God, if we have treated as unclean people that you have said are clean in Jesus, or maybe they're not a believer, but they're made in your image, and they're a human being with value and dignity, and, and we have treated them like they're some other class, not worth knowing, not worth sitting down and sharing a meal with, not worth including. God, forgive us and help us to see why we're doing that. Expose our agenda. Help us to see what we're after. And God, if, if we will, on a typical Wednesday night or day at school, go home and put under review how well we think we did, whether or not we think people like that we were there, notice that we were there. God, would we end the search of trying to find that? And they can't be that for us. They're, they're in their own world trying to figure out their own lives. But we have verification from you forever. Not because we earned it, but because Jesus did. And it's ours. Would that settle us securely in you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.